0: Why, hello there. It's Sophia here. We are so thrilled for the return of Lip Stories, a Girlboss Radio podcast presented in partnership with Sephora Collection. In season two, we dive headfirst into all the ways that beauty shapes us. You'll hear from the likes of model and activist Lauren Wasser, modest fashion star Marwa Ming Biltaji, plus-size model and advocate Lashawnee Stewart and more. Every single guest is pushing the boundaries of their industry from highlighting diverse beauty to challenging what a runway model should look like. If good conversations and some serious inspiration are what you're looking for, and I think you are if you listen to Girl Boss Radio, you're going to want to subscribe to Lip Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. Today's guest is so amazing. I enjoyed our conversation so much. She's a true innovator in a field that has kind of taken the world by storm in recent years. I'm talking about manifesting. If you're not familiar with it, manifesting is this concept where you tell the universe what you want to achieve and then... Well, hopefully, and usually, the universe hears your call and makes it a reality. It's a fascinating concept and one we're going to explore today with our guest, Gala Darling. She's a speaker, best-selling author, and a manifestation expert. Gala grew up with dreams of becoming a writer. She moved to New York City with just a suitcase when she was 24 years old, and it was during this time that Gala coped with an eating disorder and with depression. To heal from all of that, she used radical self-love and a method called tapping, which she actually did with me while she was here, and it really helped me. You'll learn all about tapping later. Since then, Gala's been teaching self-love, manifestation, and self-empowerment through her writing and coaching. Here's a little bit of what she shared during her chat.
1: Radical self-love is about asking yourself the tricky questions, which are questions like, Is this really true? And really questioning your beliefs and the stories you tell yourself. Because a lot of us are living in this unconscious way. We have these thoughts like, I'll never make any money or I'm not creative or I'm not athletic. And as long as we tell those stories, they keep us locked into this small little place. So Radical Self-Love is really about asking yourself different questions and telling yourself new stories.
0: On today's show, Gala and I talk about what exactly tapping is and how you can use it to heal yourself. We also talk about how we can all manifest abundance, how we can be our authentic selves and be unapologetic in business and make more money. Here's our conversation. Gala. Yes. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio. I am so fucking happy to be here. Thank you so much. This has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. We, you joined us at the Cadillac Retreat last year. You've spoken at the Girl Boss Rally, mm-hmm. and I want to get into that and the kind of things that you that you're into that you preach that people are obsessed with that you do, and I want to talk about radical self love, and I want to talk about what we just did yeah. off the air, which was it's called tapping. Yes. And I feel great.
1: I'm so happy. <laughs> can I tell you something? I have like a secret wish list of people I wanted to do tapping with. And you're like the top of the list. Aww.
0: So we start every episode with the same question. Kay. Because everybody has such a different start. And often where we start has nothing to do. It does. It does have a lot to do. But yeah. it doesn't seem like very... It can be non-linear to where we end up. My first job was at Subway. What was your first job?
1: My first job was... I think doing data entry somewhere when I was in university and I kind of liked it because I got to work late. There was no one there. I would wear headphones and that's still very much my working style. Like I like to work by myself with music going, but I did so many boring jobs before I got into what I'm doing now.
0: What were some of the other boring jobs?
1: I sold advertising for a newspaper out of the yellow pages that is so brutal just cold calling businesses. I did lots of data entry mostly cuz people would like leave you alone and I'm a fast typist. Yeah. And yeah, I I managed a lush store for like a year and a half which uh-huh. was fun cuz yeah. like cutting soap and wrapping it's pretty cool but it wasn't like fulfilling, you know.
0: Was there anything that you took from those early jobs that that you used on a daily basis with what
1: you're doing today not really but I think like the contrast of hating those jobs so much (laughs) helps me to you know understand why I do what I do and to really make the most of it like I feel like when you create a business you're making your own utopia and you can create your own rules. and so I really take the advantage of that because those other jobs were so painful yeah So then you also went to college. I went to university for about a semester. Um, I left school when I was about 16. And I went to university in New Zealand, which is where I'm from, to study criminal psychology because I was obsessed with serial killers. Uh And then when I got there, I realized I wouldn't be able to get a job because there are no serial killers in New Zealand. Oh my god, yeah, you can't get
0: off an island. It's like, why would you? You need to go someplace bigger to go kill people.
1: We're also just not a very murderous people. You know, we're pretty relaxed. But why serial killers? From was,
0: serial killers to self love, that's your next book. Um, <laughs> but why say my serial killers?
1: I was just a really dark teenager. Like you know, I had a very, I had a lot of emotions when I was a teenager. I was really depressed. I was very dark. I was self harming and. I think there was something about reading about stuff that was dark that made me feel like I wasn't the only one. And I was just fascinated with like how people's brains work, and I still am, but now I'm more interested in how can we use that for positive ends rather than like how can we use it to put someone in several small pieces in a basement. So,
0: <laughs> So tell me about those dark times
1: mm-hmm. and what that was like, what you were doing,
0: and how that led you to kind of even the spark for discovering...
1: This other way of living that yeah. isn't as, isn't quite as dark. <laughs> it was a really hard time, and it was just a lot of really intense emotions and being on that roller coaster, a volatile roller coaster, and not knowing what to do with all those feelings. Being a teenager is hard enough, but when you're also struggling with depression, you know, I just didn't know what to do with myself when I felt those feelings. And for me, like cutting was a way of dealing with it and feeling kind of normal and regulating my emotions. And I was very depressed and had an eating disorder for like 10 years. And when I was 22, I discovered this technique called tapping, which we just did. And I used that technique to essentially heal from an eating disorder overnight. And I, you know, now my obsession is like showing people that these things don't have to be a life sentence. I think if you're depressed or have trouble eating or trouble with your body image, you think that you're going to feel that way forever. And tapping really helped me release all of that. So describe tapping. What is tapping? So tapping is acupuncture without needles, and as you saw from our demo, it's literally just pressing on various parts of your body while you talk about what the issue is, and it just alleviates the symptoms and the feelings of it. And, you know, the thing with tapping that's really interesting is when I think back about being depressed or having an eating disorder, it's kind of like watching a movie of myself. Like, I'm not emotionally invested in that story. People say, like, what did that feel like? I honestly don't really know. And it's not like you give yourself a lobotomy. Like, you still remember the lessons of what it was, but you don't emotionally associate with it anymore. It's just like watching a movie of somebody else.
0: And so when we were talking earlier, you mentioned neural pathways. What's a neural pathway for those of us who don't know? And how
1: does tapping create new neural pathways? So neural pathways are the old habits, beliefs, stories where we're used to going. So if every time you look in the mirror, you think I'm so fucking fat, that's a neural pathway that you've created. It's a thought that you think regularly. And when people say like, oh, you should just use affirmations and tell yourself like, I'm beautiful when you look in the mirror. That's like trying to turn your car from a six lane highway onto a gravel road with no sign postage. It's so hard. And with tapping, we can decrease our emotional connection to those old stories so that we can turn onto that new path really easily. And it's just really amazing how quickly it works. I have a friend of mine who has struggled with fear of flying for years. Like, she'll just like she always drive because she's terrified of flying. And we basically removed all of that in a 45-minute tapping session. But so there's the physical part of
0: tapping. Like, do we know what about tapping your own body creates new neural
1: pathways? I think, well, the theory behind it is it's like Chinese medicine. So with acupuncture, you're doing the same thing. You're stimulating these meridian points in your body. And those meridian points are connected to various parts of your brain. So they've done these studies where you know, initially tapping was created for people with PTSD, veterans with PTSD, and they were using this technique to relieve their symptoms. And they've studied, you know, the effects of tapping on the amygdala releases the stress by at least twenty percent within a, like a ten-minute session. So these these points in your body are literally connected to your brain, and you're changing your chemical response by pressing on your body
0: and you're pressing on your body but you're also saying things. So yeah. you walked me through some things based on what I'm struggling with today. Mm-hmm. Um can you do that for yourself? What is how do you even formulate like they're not mantras, they're not mm-hmm. they're kind of affirmations, but it's I'm just talking to myself. Yeah. What role does that have and how is that different from looking in the mirror and saying like I'm
1: I'm awful. I'm
0: I'm a jerk. I'm, I hate myself. I'm, I'm a failure.
1: <laughs> the difference is that you're pressing on these parts of your body and you're stimulating your brain at the same time rather than, you know, basically lying to yourself. If you're like, I'm a success when your brain is telling you you're a fucking failure, it's not going to work. So tapping is you're kind of just short circuiting that. You're bypassing your conscious mind and using your subconscious mind to put in a new belief which is really amazing. But the real crux of tapping is telling yourself you love yourself, you accept yourself and you forgive yourself. That's the like the secret sauce of all of it. And all that you really need to do is like the formula for tapping is even though, and you fill it in with like, even though I feel fat, even though my relationship is in trouble, even though my business is failing, whatever. I deeply and completely love and accept and forgive myself. Even if you just said that over and over again, while you tapped on the points, you'd feel so much relief. It worked for me.
0: i mm-hmm. will <laughs> <laughs> see how how I feel tomorrow. So you've you started blogging early, dude, in two thousand six.
1: So yes, but also I got an internet connection in nineteen ninety six. I taught myself how to hand code web pages using like HTML, uh-huh. and then I created websites like my whole teenage years that was my favorite thing to do wow i'm a fucking nerd and i was on live journal in like 2001 oh i was on live journal amazing
0: yeah 2000 2001 2002 yeah
1: you're an internet og
0: do you remember makeout club yes you're the only person i've ever asked (laughs) that who said yes Okay, so you're like a you're seen you're a scene kid, yeah, whatever, kind of. Except in New Zealand, like like nobody was cool. (laughs) It was like it was like it was like social network before live 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 journal wasn't really even there wasn't much of it. I mean, there was a little bit of a social graph, but like Makeout Club was
1: probably one of the first social networks. Makeout Club was swept over bangs and girls wearing wife front underpants
0: what Don't what underpants
1: think? like y-fronts like you know like little boys like y-front oh, underpants okay, i feel yeah. like that was kind like of the boys, vibe boys like tidy whiteys yes
0: it was like wearing a it was wearing white belts and carrying a messenger bag and listening to like like emo or screamo yeah or like something kind of emotion like angsty <laughs> yeah. but like not metal quite you know but yeah mostly having like black hair mm-hmm. and like and like hair in your face <laughs>
1: yeah. and, just... and facial piercings Ugh. I still have scars from all my like lip piercings and stuff that I had where did you have piercings I had there and there and there so she's pointing pretty much at her
0: whole face <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so blogging like how what were you doing like you started a blog yeah what was it called
1: it was called icing because I was like which is like A New Zealand term for like frosting on a cake and my idea was like that you should just make your life really beautiful and it was a fashion blog like I was really interested so okay so when I was 22 I tapped I got rid of all these things that were holding me back and at the time I was so goth I'd been goth for 10 years I wore like a dog collar from the supermarket every day like that was my shit and I was all of a sudden I felt like this new person and I was like, wow, I want to wear color again. Okay. And so my blog was literally about me experimenting with that. And literally my first post was called Fashion Help for Recovering Goths. And it was about how to incorporate color into your wardrobe if it made you nervous. Amazing. And so you guys
0: can't see Gala right now, but she has colorful tattoos all over her body. She has magenta kind of red I don't know what to call it. Mm. Hair? Yeah. Pink? Yeah. Magenta? Yeah. A pink skirt. So color <laughs> explosion. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I know that it's amazing how much color can change how how i don't know if color changes the way you feel you kind of have to already feel different to put color on color mm-hmm. doesn't change the way i feel but yeah. how it's such an indication of how we're feeling Definitely. the way that we dress even just showing like a little bit more of your arm mm-hmm. like it's just like oh <laughs> wow i'm really different today yep so how did we how did we go from blogging in 2006 to writing a book i know you have a your first book was called radical self love mm-hmm. When did that happen? How did you how did you even write a book?
1: Okay, the way I wrote a book was when I started my blog I made money off advertising. This was back in the day when American Apparel would pay you $3000 for a banner ad, which was amazing. Like it's enough money for me to live on at the time. And then there was a market crash in 2008, 2009, and they didn't want to spend money on blog advertising anymore. And I thought, "Fuck. I had just moved to New York City, I was staying in a sublet in the West Village. And I was like, well, I'm not going home, so I'm going to figure it out. Like, I'm going to figure out how to make money from this. And I called a friend of mine who was an author, and I said, how do I make money from this business? Like, what do I do? And he was an author, and he said, oh, I just walk around the house with a dictaphone, and I talk into it, and I sell the CDs of it to my audience. And I thought... Okay, that's really interesting. My audience wouldn't want CDs because they're modern. Like no one fucking (laughs) uses CDs in 2009. And I thought, well, I'm not confident enough to just riff. So what if I write a book, chapter by chapter, I release a chapter every month, and they get an audio file of me reading it aloud so they could listen or they could read. And that was the first draft of my book. And I released that. It was uh, 12 chapters, one chapter a month. And for me, that's the best way to write a book, because the audience is already waiting for it. Like, you have to get it done. There's no question. And I made $100,000 off that from just writing that book. And I was like, oh, this is a good formula. OK. Wow. And then I just expanded from there. But I remember being really afraid to announce that to people, like that I was writing this book, and I wanted them to pay a subscription for it, because I thought they'd be like, oh, you're a fucking sellout, blah, blah, blah. But what I really realized is if your audience loves you they're usually thrilled to pay for more access of you or t- for you to go deeper like they're thrilled to do that so that really helped me in terms of just understanding like yeah my audience will support me as long as i'm serving them i think that's really important and i think like there's no such thing as being greedy if you're helping and you're being of yeah. use to people. Yeah,
0: I learned it was Mickey Drexler, who was the CEO of J. Crew yeah. for a long time, who told me the value of something is what someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah. And if it means that a jacket has to go on sale... For someone to buy it, it means it was never worth the original price. <laughs> yeah, like that's actually the value of it. Mm-hmm. And if someone's willing to pay two hundred dollars for a vintage dress that I found for eight dollars at the Salvation Army, it's actually worth two hundred dollars. Yep. I didn't pull the wool over anybody's eyes, and that girl mm-hmm. got that dress and was like two hundred dollars well spent. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's fascinating. So know your worth. Hey there! Lip Stories Season 2 is in full swing, and all season long we'll be hearing from some awe-inspiring people about the impact beauty has on our daily lives. Our amazing host, Christina Zias, has already had some beautiful conversations with guests like Kimberly Drew, Jacob Tobiah, Lauren Wasser, and more. To catch up on Season 2 of Lip Stories, presented in partnership with Sephora Collection, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I just wanna shift gears for just a little bit because I have some exciting news for you. We are in the midst of getting all the details ready for the second ever Girl Boss Retreat. We're hosting it this October in partnership with our wonderful friends, the luxury car maker Cadillac. And when I say we're planning the Girl Boss Retreat, I want you to picture this. We're taking over a luxury resort in beautiful picturesque Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm excited and I know you are. And we're transforming it into a three day event that's one part inspirational getaway and one part professional conference. And that's because we're totally reimagining what a business retreat can be in 2019. I had the luxury of attending last year's retreat with Cadillac, and it was totally, totally life changing for everybody there. So powerful. Consider this your official invitation to the Girl Boss retreat with Cadillac. I want you to join us and I want you to join me because I'll be there. So check out girlbossretreat.eventbrite.com. That's girlbossretreat.eventbrite.com. I want to establish what radical self-love is because that's the name of your book and Mm -hmm. that's something you talk
1: a lot about. What is radical self-love? How can we use it to create a better life? Radical self-love is about asking yourself the tricky questions, which are questions like, Is this really true? And really questioning your beliefs and the stories you tell yourself. Because a lot of us are living in this unconscious way. We have these thoughts like, I'll never make any money, or I'm not creative, or I'm not athletic. And as long as we tell those stories, they keep us locked into this small little place. So radical self-love is really about asking yourself different questions and telling yourself new stories because a lot of what we believe is stuff like your parents told you or society's told you. And then you look at the people who have given you these messages and you're like, well, you don't know shit. Like, why am I listening to you? (laughs) So it really is about asking yourself, is this fucking true? Most of it's bullshit. So there's a certain amount of fuck you in loving yourself radically? So much. That's why it's called radical self-love. It really is radical. And there's so much money to be made in self-hatred. That's all diet industry, all of that stuff. Like, there's so much... Money to be made and making women feel insecure about how they look and men too. You know, everyone suffers from the patriarchy. It's Mm -hmm. not just women. Yeah. So they told us we were ugly Mm -hmm. so they could sell us shit. Absolutely. But I I like the shit.
0: I like some of the shit. I love the shit.
1: Yeah. I love the shit. I love to go shopping. I love beauty products. I love all that stuff. But there's a difference between putting on a lipstick because you're like, I'm so ugly, or putting on a lipstick and being like, I'm wearing this because I'm beautiful and I'm celebrating myself. Because it's fun.
0: Because it's fun. Yeah, there is a difference, and for me to really own my confidence or even my femininity and not have it feel like something that was you know forced upon Mm me which to a certain extent I'll never escape right but for my own feeling of ownership there was a time where I had to just shun all of it Mm -hmm. so I stopped shaving my legs I stopped wearing makeup I stopped I mean I never really took care of my skin (laughs) you know 18 years old I didn't really brush my hair. I didn't pluck my eyebrows. And it was like, you know, it was an exercise in like, okay, I'm like, this is, this is what I, this is what I look like. Mm -hmm. And and, and this is me rejecting that. And once I realized it's actually kind of fun, like it became, it was like, oh, it's fun to, my legs are smooth. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, someone, someone shamed me. It was like, whatever. I could be like this for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not shaving my legs again out of social pressure. I was just like, oh, cool. I like that they're kind of shiny. Right. You know, or like, wow, my eyelashes are long rather than like,
1: oh, shit, you know, I'm I'm less than, you know? And that's the difference between making a conscious decision or just following society's rules. Mm-hmm. And I did that, too. Like, I remember when I was working at Lush, I was, like, not shaving my armpits. I was wearing, like, clothes from the little boys section and yes. department stores and stuff. And I loved that. It yes. was fun. It's liberating. And that's where it's like you have to play with these rules and subvert them and say fuck you like there's such an element of fuck you in my business Mm -hmm. like punk rock is like part of the DNA that was the word that
0: just popped into my head and it's funny the dynamic that happens on this podcast or when I meet other people who have like who have kind of like been punks at some point yeah there's just like this shared feeling of there will always be a certain amount of angst yeah and what each of us kind of alchemize that angst into can be really different and so interesting but it never really goes away yeah it would be so interesting to have a podcast that was a jest punks like philosophizing mm-hmm. yes. because most of us are and i guess i'll just call myself one have been so unhappy and mm-hmm. and so many of us are so so unhappy but also were people that thought unhappiness would looked cool
1: that is such a big part so yeah. I, I talk about that in my book too so for a long time, I resisted you know healing or feeling better or whatever because I thought that if I was happy, my creativity would suck. I thought my writing would suck. I thought I wouldn't be interesting. I thought only idiots were happy. How could you be happy in such a fucked up world? And what I've realized is, it actually requires a lot of effort to look at the other side of things and choose to believe the best in people. Yeah. Like, that takes effort. It's so easy to be cynical. It's actually really intellectually lazy to be like, fuck you, this sucks. It's so lazy and it's so ungrateful.
0: And when you're mm-hmm. lo- young, it's hard to have that perspective. But the older you get, you're like, you've been through stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, damn, when things are okay, they're really, really okay. And even when they're not okay in the grand scheme of this world, you know, each year we get a little bit more perspective. Yeah. And we see... What other people's lives are like. Pretty much anybody listening to this podcast, I'm guessing, Mm -hmm. 99.999% of us are living really privileged lives. You know, in in, in the grand scheme of what's happening in this world. And so I think when you're young, you really don't have that perspective. But the older we get, it's important Mm -hmm. uh, to remind ourselves like, yeah, all these things happen in my life, but I have three poodles. And they're adorable. I got a cool view. Yeah. You know, like I get to eat, I get to eat good food, Mm -hmm. you know, and and my family's healthy. Yeah. And like, and, 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 in the magnitude of the things, you know, it doesn't matter if we're failing or feeling sad about things that no, that no one else sees, or if we have very public failures or we're struggling very publicly, I think the magnitude of that feeling is the same for everybody. Yeah. So you know, for me, and I don't want to make this about me, people are like, wow, how did you get through that? You know, I've been through to hell and back, but it's like, it's the same as, you know, if you broke up with your boyfriend or got laid off from a job or it's just like it's just louder Mm -hmm. and it's not like that much more special that like i moved on or that i'm okay now it's just that like it seemed like a bigger deal because it was you know more well known or something i guess like i want to talk just a little about money okay and the idea of abundance and and knowing our worth and building a positive association with the word money Mm -hmm. which women especially have a lot of shame and guilt and fear associated with it's not something we talk about a lot. I think mm-hmm. that's changing a little bit. I'd like to think "girl boss" is also changing that a little bit. But the word "money" and the word "rich," being rich, mm-hmm. is—I mean—it can be kind of gross, or it seems kind of gross. But maybe it's not. Richness is like colors can be rich, and mm-hmm. usually, oh, there's rich is producing our podcast actually right over here. <laughs> it's not a bad word when we're talking about rich. Rich from Cadence Thirteen. Mm-hmm. So to get to my question. What are some concrete tools we can use to go about changing our negative associations with money to positive
1: ones? It's a great question. My belief is that women with money are powerful. And when you give women money, they'll look after everyone. They will employ other women. They will make sure their family is healthy. And when you have enough money, you don't have to make those really hard decisions like, am I going to feed myself or go to the doctor this week? And when you are in a place of crisis and panic around money, you cannot be creative you cannot thrive it's like you know maslow's hierarchy of needs right money and security and safety is at the very bottom and if that is inherently unstable you're never going to be able to feel good you're never going to be able to be like what's my life purpose like that's a fucking luxury question to ask yourself you know (laughs) you can't think about that when you're like where's my next meal coming from so my favorite tactic for dealing with money blockages is obviously tapping and what I have people do is write down, what are your beliefs about money? And it's like you're saying, women feel like they don't know how to talk about it. It's rude to talk about it. Women aren't supposed to have money. They should rely on somebody else. Being rich is tacky. Rich people are assholes, whatever. And we just start removing those beliefs and changing them. And like I was saying, you know, we're giving ourselves these new neural pathways. So we're really changing our beliefs to something that's empowering so the belief could then be like you know when i have money i'm generous and i look after people or i'm responsible with my money because there's so many things about money like a lot of people can make it but then they feel uncomfortable with it so they like spend it to get rid of it they don't want like hide the evidence you know there's so many ways that we can like fuck with ourselves over money and it really isn't. I mean, when we feel good about money, our lives are just so much more comfortable. And that's not to say you have to have a million dollars in the bank. You don't need that. But it's, also, it's like tapping and then really deeply having gratitude for what you already have. Because if you're not happy with what you have now, you're always going to be like, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. You have to like sink into that feeling of satisfaction about where you are.
0: It's similar to that feeling of, okay, I feel confident. I'm putting on lipstick because I just enjoy it Mm -hmm. rather than someone told me to wear lipstick. With money, we're taught that money is important because it makes us look good. We can go to the right restaurant. We can keep up with our friends. We can have the right handbag or the Gucci belt or whatever. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's about you. It's about us. It's about our lives and our security and our happiness and our confidence and Mm -hmm. our ability to provide for ourselves and for those around us like you're talking about. So it's so interesting how everything that could be perceived as bad or everything that culture has made shitty, Mm -hmm. you can kind of reel back for yourself if your
1: intentions are right. Right. Like what's that saying? Nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so? Hmm. it's totally like what meaning do you ascribe to money what meaning do you ascribe to beauty it's like you get to make the rules up and i fucking love that that's so exciting Mm -hmm. it is
0: yeah how can we become you know because a lot of this is a little bit about fuck you right you have to you have to say fuck you to the world for something to be yours Mm -hmm. to be your own to have your own definition of why that's important to you Mm -hmm. how can we what, what are the steps we can take to be more unapologetic in business with money?
1: It's a really good question. I think a lot of it is asking yourself, what does this mean to me? And what are the stories I've been told? This is really what it always comes back to is like, what are the stories I've been told about this? You may have a belief that in order to be successful in business, you have to be tight with your money, or you have to keep your business really, really small so you don't waste anything, or you have to make your business really, really big so there's not too much pressure or whatever. So it's really asking yourself those questions. And Really investigating them and asking yourself, okay, if I believe this, where did I learn it from? Can I look for examples of where this is not true for someone else? Because we have this thing called the RAS, which is the Reticular Activating System, which is basically whatever we believe, our subconscious looks for evidence of that. So your subconscious never makes you a liar. So if your belief is it's not safe to have employees, then you will look for evidence of that. You'll notice that everyone that you talk to seems to have a problem with their assistant or whatever. So we really do have to be so mindful about the thoughts that we choose. Our subconscious mind is like soil and everything we put into it, which is a thought, just flourishes. So we have to be so thoughtful about what we're thinking on a daily basis. And you just start to kind of like catch yourself in the thoughts and be like, hmm, That's interesting. Okay, let me see what else I could think instead. And again, like tapping is a really good way to deal with that. If there's something that comes up that you're like, fuck, if I change that belief, my life would be so different. Your life can change so fast and I'm living proof of it.
0: So your new book.
1: Yes. I want to talk
0: a little bit about it. It's called Radical Radiance.
1: Yes. How to make love to the universe and Mm -hmm. manifest anything. So how do we make love to the universe? Making love to the universe is being in a state of gratitude and appreciation all the time. The definition of a miracle is a shift in perception. So it's not that like something amazing came to pass, although it may be. What it's really about is that you chose to see something differently. And that's really where we have power in our own lives is instead of ascribing this shitty meaning to an event, we can tell ourselves something different. So making love to the universe is really about being in gratitude, being excited, being, you know, open to the world and open to experiences. And I just think gratitude and excitement are like the sexiest qualities in a person. I was at uh, Disneyland with my friend Natalia Benson for her birthday. She's an Aries, and she made us go the night before and sleep over at the Disneyland Hotel and wake up at 6 in the morning so we would be first through the gate. Cool. And she is so great. And when I was there with her, she was so enthusiastic about everything. And I was like, this is how I want the person I'm with to be. And, you know, I've had a pattern of getting into relationships with people who were like, professionally cynical or like project men who like kind of wanted my help or to be fixed or whatever. And it's kind of a form of self-sabotage. You know, you end up putting your energy into them rather than working on yourself. I've been single for a year. My business has never been better. I've never been happier. I've never been healthier. We have to be so thoughtful about who we're spending our time with too. like cultivating your circle of people. No one has the right to be in your life, even if they're your family. They just don't. You get to choose who's involved. So we've talked a little bit about manifestation. Yeah,
0: What are some of the tools that we can
1: use to access the power of manifestation? So I have a practice called the Magical Morning Practice that I really like. So I know that everyone wakes up, and the first thing they do is they look at their phone. They look through Instagram, and they look at their emails, and they make sure nothing exploded overnight. Guilty. Yep. And so what I suggest we do instead is we use our phones because we're going to grab them anyway. Like we're, it's hardwired into our system now. We're just going to do it. So grab your phone. And if you can't, you can look at Instagram for like two seconds. But then open the voice memo app on your phone and start a recording. And you lie there and you talk about three things. The first thing is you talk about what you're grateful for, maybe like two minutes worth of it. It could be like, my hair's really bouncy today or like, I have a really exciting meeting or I'm going to have a great dinner or whatever it is. The second thing you talk about is how your day is going to go, but you talk about it in the past tense and you talk about it like it's a story you're telling your grandchildren. So you might say like, my daily desires, I had this great day, I woke up early, I bounced on my rebounder, I did this, I did that, I went on a date, Whatever. And then the third thing is you talk about your desires for the future. So that might be like my book's a New York Times bestseller and I'm pregnant with a million children, whatever it is. And you again... I'll take it. Yeah. And you again say that in the past tense. And when you're done saying these things, it's maybe like a five minute recording. You finish recording and you send it to a friend who you know is like fucking gung ho for you. Someone who is like truly ride or die. They listen to it and then they make their own recording and they send it back and you do this every day this is such a powerful technique it's mind-blowing what you'll get done when you talk about it as if it's already happened and the other thing that's great about this is you're getting in touch with your true desires a lot of us look at our to-do list and we're like here's what I'm doing today but what do you actually want to do like what would make your life fun where's the fucking fun my belief is that my job is to feel good And so throughout the day, if I'm bored or whatever, I'm like, okay, what can I do to feel good? And often it's like I put on Beyonce and I dance in my living room. It doesn't have to be complicated. I don't have to spend a million dollars on something. It's just something little. And it makes your vibration so high that you can't help but feel good. And when you feel good, all those little things that come up, conflict, arguments, a shitty email, you're in such a good emotional place that you can deal with it really easily. I
0: think that's the one thing I took out of, I mean, just speaking of dancing, I went to the Tony Robbins, whatever, something, (laughs) and it was very, very lucky to, you know, to be a guest there. I didn't stay for the whole thing. I was having a really hard time and it was like already emotional enough to be like crying in front of other people. But I was crying like something devastating had happened and something devastating had happened. And I think I was just freaking people out. I was just like, I can't sit in this. It was, it was, it's very unique. But I think one of the things that, is really fascinating is that literally half the thing is jumping up and down and dancing to like rave music Mm -hmm. with lasers yeah and i can i can only like really let go so much like Mm -hmm. a state of ecstasy is like something that's hard enough for me but doing that in public is like a whole nother thing so it's amazing how uninhibited like fifteen thousand people can be but it really does you know it's just standing up and jumping or dancing and we should probably do more of that in this office or i should do more of it at home or Mm I don't know, probably not while I'm driving, but it can change. It just shifts. It shifts how you feel so significantly.
1: Well, when you change your physical state, you change your emotional state. So that's what that's about. And, you know, at Unleash the Power Within, he's teaching you to do that so that it becomes like easy. It's like a muscle that you kind of have to practice. But you guys could have like a a break every hour where you put on like one song. Everyone gets to pick like one song Mm -hmm. and you all get up and you just fucking dance it out for three minutes. You guys would feel so good in here. As long as we're not recording a podcast
0: (laughs) because we don't have a total... Totally soundproof room. <laughs> so, you know, we all make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Tell me what your biggest career mistake has been.
1: Honestly, my biggest career mistake is getting involved in the wrong intimate relationships. It's like the thing that holds me back the most is being in a relationship that's like having a weight around my ankle. Spending my energy trying to fix some dude who, let's be frank, doesn't really want me to fix him anyway because it doesn't make him feel good about himself. They've got to solve their own problems. Yeah. And, like, really investing my energy in that and being in relationships where, you know, it didn't feel stable and I was anxious all the time. It's, like, the most draining, exhausting thing ever.
0: How do you know the difference between not accepting someone and trying to fix them because that's how you want them to be or someone wanting, wanting to be fixed?
1: Well, I think the difference is what's their behavior. Are yeah. they... taking steps towards changing yeah are they willing to look at their shit are they willing to go to therapy are they willing to read a fucking book or listen to a podcast about it and if they're not then like you're really pushing shit uphill but like we really can't change people they can only change themselves and we can love them and fully like unconditionally love them but maybe we got to do that from a distance so you're really active on social media dude i love social media
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about building a social following and what it is that you do to nurture your community. Because you have a, we have a very, you have a very specific kind of niche, voice, mm-hmm. conversation, aesthetic, and people that are coming to you. Sounds like relatively upset, Like you're helping them manifest hundreds of millions of, hundreds of at least a million dollars yep. in their lives. That's a kind of a
1: responsibility too. Mm-hmm. So
0: what is you know. Because tell me about the day-to-day of nurturing a okay. community like the one that you have.
1: I mean, I don't have children. I don't want children. But I feel like my audience are – they're not my children, but I really – I – pour love into them like I would if I had a daughter or something. I think like, what would they wanna hear? What's gonna make them feel good? What's gonna empower them to do something really good today? And I think it's easy to just post pretty pictures and stuff like that, but when I post something, my question is like, how am I fucking helping somebody with this? I try not to make it about my ego or like, here's a pretty picture of me. Like, sometimes there is a pretty picture of me, but I try to make the captions useful to people. And when I wrote my first book, my goal was, like, at the time, it was, like, 2014 or so when I started really writing it and putting it together. And I thought, like, self-help at the time was kind of embarrassing. Like, you wouldn't want to read those books in public. Mm -hmm. You would, like, want to hide it behind your magazine. Chicken soup for the soul. Yeah, Yeah, like, no thank you. And my goal was to make self-help, like, kind of fun and sexy and cool. And the way I, I guess my approach is like, I don't know, if I was like Elizabeth Taylor from the future and I'm trying to tell you like, here's some things that are going to make you feel good, like that's the vibe that I bring to social media. And I've also discovered, and this is probably not a surprise to anyone, when I have fun with social media, my audience has fun too. But when I'm posting out of obligation or I'm like, fuck the algorithm, it doesn't work, man. Like people feel your energy intention is everything. Yeah, fuck the algorithm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's my takeaway. Just kidding. We need t-shirts to say that. I think so too. Yeah, I mean, there's more than one, <laughs> and then all of those become one, and now we're all in in some like tr- algorithmic trap. We're in the matrix. Outside did. of yeah, totally. <laughs> so I asked about your your biggest career mistake. What's your biggest career victory to date?
1: Backing myself a hundred percent. Being like even though I'm anxious about this, I don't know if it's going to work, like behaving as if I know it's going to be a success and putting all my energy and my enthusiasm behind it. I think anything that you do with enthusiasm, <sighs> I don't know. That's like a secret sauce or something. What if
0: you want to, I deal with this. I want to manifest something. I want to be great at it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to be enthusiastic when I like logically don't know, you know, or don't feel prepared or Mm -hmm. like don't know how things are going to go. How Mm -hmm. can I, how can you muster enthusiasm or does it just always come to you? No,
1: it doesn't always come to you. What's (laughs) happening is like you're telling yourself stories like, what if I suck? What if I fuck this up? Whatever tapping honestly you can tap that shit out you could tap it every morning if you wanted like we could like write a script where you could just repeat it every morning and it would just be like even though i'm nervous about this i accept myself as i am i'm going to do my best i'm going to bring my best self to it and whenever i do like a speaking event or anything I kind of tell myself like it's not about me. It's about serving the audience. And when that's your focus, it's so much easier to be clear and concise and for it to flow rather than being like, what are they thinking of me? What am I going to wear? Do I look fat in this? Whatever we tell ourselves, (laughs) like you can, like I said, you can reprogram your mind so that your stories are more supportive. And I'll help you do that if you want. Okay.
0: so if we want to learn more about tapping, how can we do that?
1: So I do a weekly series called High Vibe Honey which is on YouTube and every week I pull tarot cards and then we tap through whatever comes up. So. If, for example, the Two of Cups comes up, which is like the card of soulmates and love, and I tell you, well, love is coming or great partnerships are coming, and you're sitting at home and you think like, yeah, but I don't deserve to be loved or like love never works for me or whatever, we literally tap through where our resistance is so that we can actually receive the good things that are coming to us. And we do it every week. And you don't need to know anything about tapping. I talk you through it every week. It's easy and it's really fun. Subscribing. Yeah, dude.
0: So there's a couple of questions I ask everybody that comes on Girlboss Radio okay. and one of the things we're here to do which I think we've talked a lot about is defining success for ourselves. Mm. In a world that tells us that it's money and it can be money and money does help us but work but it can be so many more things than that for mm-hmm. us or 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 just so much more personal. What does success mean to you?
1: So the question I used to always ask myself was like how can I make more money? And the question I ask myself now is how can I have more fun? And when I ask myself that, I can, like, tweak my project so nothing is a drag. Or I, like, want to make a thing, and then I'm like, actually, this would be more fun if it was video than written. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll make it video. And that fuels everything. And, you know, it's really about... Like, when I'm enthusiastic, too, about making something, my audience can feel my enthusiasm. I don't even have to sell it. They're just like, I want to feel like that. And they get on the roller coaster, you know? So for me, literally, it's like, how can I have more fun? How can I feel good? That's my definition of success. That is such a great answer. Because I think fun, as a word,
0: gets a bad rap. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, people are like, fun. That's so shallow. But what's
1: the fucking point of being here otherwise? Honestly, if you're not having fun, fucking pack your shit and go home. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. So I think
0: you know what a girl boss moment is. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to explain it. What was your most recent girl boss moment?
1: Oh, I have um, an employee who wants to go from part-time to full-time. And I haven't even told her this yet, but I'm going to tell her today. But I came up with a way to give her the money she wants and also get her really invested in what we're doing so that she feels good and so that she's motivated. And it's not just like giving her the money she wants. It's like doing it in such a way that we both feel really excited about it. And I think a girl boss moment for me is coming up with a creative solution that makes everyone feel good.
0: Gala, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. Thank you it's for been having a pleasure. Me. Thank you. That's it for our show. I want to thank Alice so much for joining us on Girlboss Radio. And if you haven't checked them out already, I want to remind you that we have some exciting new podcasts in the works at Girlboss. So make sure to follow us on Instagram and our newsletter for updates on all of them. And as always, if you like what we're doing here at Girlboss Radio, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with a few friends and let them know you want them to listen to Girlboss Radio. A lot of people screenshot their the Apple Podcast and then share that on their Insta stories and tag us. And I like to actually, if you tag me, a lot of the time I actually re-story them. So that's it's. We really, really appreciate it your support for Girlboss Radio. It's a lot of work here, and we work really hard to continue bringing you such amazing guests. Okay, guys, that's it. Bye.